Deuteronomy 31. Moses understands he's come to full knowledge that his days are very short. He's aware of his physical condition. He knows the nature of the people of Israel that he ministers to. He knows these people. He's lived with them 40 years out in the wilderness. He knows their propensity to sin and how they want to complain and, and gripe about everything and anything. But Moses still has a responsibility given by God to warn Israel. He's there to exhort the people to be steadfast, be obedient unto God. And that is the theme of this book of Deuteronomy. So let's pick up chapter 31 and we'll read the first eight verses of chapter 31. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land, when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It's interesting that Moses, in verse 2, knows that he is growing old. He is old. He can't even go in and come out. He says, I'm 120 years old today. And I don't think it's talking about Moses' birthday there. I think he's just telling us his age. He says, I'm 120, and I can't get about like I used to could. That used to could is Southern. And we, some of us older ones, understand Moses' predicament. But Moses, he's heard from God. God has spoken to him. And he says, Moses, I'm not going to allow you to cross over the Jordan and go into the promised land. Israel's new leader, Joshua, he will lead my people into the promised land. Moses cannot go into the promised land because, one, he disobeyed God, and God 
said, uh, because you struck the rock versus speaking to the rock, I'm not going to let you go into the promised land. But Moses is doomed for failure before that even, because Moses is the lawgiver, and the law cannot take you into the promised land. And Moses was a representative of the law. For the law, it does one thing. It shows us how short we fall of God's standard. Paul said, I wouldn't have known that coveting was a sin except that it's written in the law. So gives us an idea how the law is held up as a light to us, and many of us fall short of that light. A right standing with God does not come through the law, but it comes through faith. Faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross. There is your righteousness. A right standing with God gives you a clean conscience. It gives you uh, a brighter outlook on life. You don't have to live under guilt all the time. But Moses, he's speaking to the children of Israel, and he has a word of encouragement uh, to them and to Joshua, who's to lead them into the promised land. He says, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. That's good words for any of us. Do not be afraid of the people that already occupy the land. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you, and he will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. Scripture, it never tells us, do not be afraid unless we are afraid. <laughs> Those are not idle words. Uh, Moses has good reason to tell Joshua and the people, do not be afraid. Jesus in, in the Gospels speaks of not fearing 30 different times. Thirty different times Jesus says, don't fear little children or do not fear my disciples. But we're to fear God who controls our destiny after we die. There's the one you fear. Be afraid of that. But fear is a little bit ambiguous. Fear can mean to simply have a high regard or a reverence for God in your life. That's fearing God. There can be fear of displeasing God. Uh, and that's a healthy fear. I want to please my Lord uh, in all that I do. And, and you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to be displeasing to my Lord. Fear can cause us to live that holy and righteous life. Fear can bring our behavior into alignment with God in his righteousness. Fear can even give us a thankful heart. If you fear God, you become thankful for the many blessings, for the wisdom that he's given you about himself. And that type of fear is what we call the beginning of wisdom. But to be afraid, to be overly concerned about perhaps approaching danger, 
That kind of fear can strike terror into a heart. Being afraid can be the death kill for adventurous faith. If you're afraid to do something, you usually will not exercise faith. So faith and fear are contrary to one another. But worry and fear, they go hand in hand. Being in a state of fear can cause us to ask a million what-ifs. You ever find yourself asking, what if? But what if the sky falls, you know? (laughs) And we can find ourselves in a fearful state asking many what-ifs. What if I get laid off at my new job? What if uh, the loan doesn't go through? Whatever. But Moses, he tells the people and he tells Joshua who is their future leader, he says, be strong, be of good courage, and do not fear nor be afraid. Moses says that to the people, and then in the next verse he repeats it. (laughs) Be strong and of good courage. And they uh, go in and take that land that the Lord is giving us, the promised land, the land that God has swore to give you. And then we have Moses giving words of comfort. He says, God will not leave you, so don't be afraid and do not be dismayed. I'm convinced of this one truth, that the Christian leaders of this world are convinced that God's presence is with them. And therefore they act boldly. They act in faith because they understand that God is with them. And that is what Moses is telling the people. God is with you. If we truly understand that God is with us, there is no downside to life. You're ready to accept anything that comes your way because God is with you. And too often we become overly concerned or troubled by um, making a mistake or a bad decision. And we can actually become fearful in our own hearts or maybe I misread God. Maybe I didn't hear his voice rightly. And that can cause us to uh, act out fear. When I go through a time of seeking God's will, and I seem to do that quite often in my life, and I feel like I have received God's direction on an issue, I almost always ask God to confirm his word to me. Confirm your will, God. And I tell him, you confirm it any way you please, God. You just grab my heart. You grab my attention. I don't want to tell you how to confirm it, but I do want you to just confirm your will to me. And I stay away from asking God to confirm his will to me where I benefit. Ah, we we too often times want to tie God's 
benefits into his confirmation. For instance, you knew I'd have a for instance. <laughs> if you want me to sell this old tractor, God, that is virtually worthless, have somebody come along and offer me way too much money for it, then I'll know it's your will. We're not to ask for confirmation where we benefit. Ask for God to confirm his will as he sees fit. Back this summer, this past summer, I was earnestly searching, looking for a Kubota zero-turn diesel six-foot lawnmower. They're a little rare, but they're good mowers. So I offer up this little prayer to God. Help me, lead me, guide me to find that mower that you would want me to buy. And then I proceed to earnestly search Craigslist for a mower. <laughs> One Saturday night, I found the mower I was looking for. And it was too late to call on Saturday night, so come Sunday morning, I call this fellow. And he described the lawnmower, and it was priced reasonable, which was a big key to me. And I told the man, if the mower is what you say it is, I will be up after church, and I will buy it from you. He said, I'll cancel the Craigslist ad right now. Well, <laughs> I didn't say I'm going to buy it regardless. <laughs> and he did cancel the ad, and I ended up buying the mower. But let me give you some of the details in this. I'm up there looking at the lawnmower, and it, uh, it's out in the middle of nowhere, uh, about halfway up to Nashville, out in the hills. You know, thought I was lost, but I eventually found the guy. And I'm looking at the mower, and it's everything he said it was. It's a very good mower. And we're engaged in small talk. And he, he said to me, uh, do you pastor a church? <laughs> Being surprised by his question, I said, well, yes, I do. And I told him I'm, I'm the pastor of a small Calvary chapel. And I was surprised to find out he was very familiar with Calvary chapels. And he proceeded to tell me that he f had been on uh, staff at uh, Fort Lauderdale Calvary Chapel for years under Bob Coy. And I go, whoa, <laughs> the world just got small. <laughs> and, and we visited. We had a good visit together. And I had a lot of questions for him. He answered a lot of my questions. But we had a good time of fellowship there. And again, I'm out in the middle of nowhere in central Tennessee. And God has me meet this fellow a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor. And there can't be more than a handful of Calvary Chapel pastors in the whole state of Tennessee, not to mention Alabama. And the odds of me meeting a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor and him selling me a lawnmower is right up there with the odds of me winning the lottery. <laughs> you know, it's a very unusual thing. And he was marveling that I was a Calvary Chapel pastor. I was marveling that he was a Calvary Chapel pastor. 
And we both marveled that God had directed us to have a time of fellowship. And if for no other reason, I said, well, Lord, what was behind all this? And it's simply God showing us that he's always going before us, preparing a way for us, if we'll just walk in it. And God demonstrated his providence to me by leading two Christians together to just have a time of fellowship. And we did it over a lawnmower. <laughs> so, you know, I marveled at that. I know that's a touching story, but we'll move on. Here we are, Christmas 2015. So it's appropriate, I think, for us to look at fear and being afraid in the lives of Mary and Joseph. So turn with me to Luke 1, and we'll look at verses 26 through 38, and we'll look at Gabriel's visit to Mary. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and she considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is how, now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary has a visit from Gabriel. Gabriel happened to be God's angel that was in charge of making the arrangements for the birth of Jesus. Gabriel greets Mary and he says, hey, Mary, what's up? No. <laughs> Rather, he says, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary you are blessed. Now in Israel at this time, the hope of many young maidens, young ladies, was that 
perhaps Messiah would come through their womb. A Messiah, not perhaps like we would imagine, but a Messiah that was similar to being a deliverer like Moses was. But these young maidens never considered that Messiah would be the Son of God. Israel, as a nation, they're primed, they're ready for a leader like Moses after the uh, likeness of King David. And Israel, they're wanting this deliverer. A leader who would throw off the bonds and the dictatorship of Rome that so oppressed them. And Mary, we find her rejoicing at being the highly favored one. But she's also in a state of fear. Fear that accompanies this greeting from this angel, Gabriel. Now, how did Gabriel appear to her? We don't know. He could have been just, you know, angels seem to have the ability to appear like a man or whatever. But Gabriel may have come in his fullness of glory. And it might have scared the wits out of her. We don't know how Gabriel appeared to her. But it, as Gabriel comes in, verse 28, it troubles Mary, the greeting and his appearance to a degree. And she is afraid. And she's troubled at the words of Gabriel's greeting. Regardless, Mary is struck by the words of Gabriel. Highly favored one, God is with you. And you're blessed among women, Mary. Mary understands enough that this greeting by Gabriel has implications. She understands that this kind of meeting doesn't go on with everyone, and it's absolutely the first time she's had an encounter with an angel. And she understands that there's more to this than she's seeing. She knows this is no ordinary visit by an ordinary angel. And Gabriel's greeting causes her mind to begin to race with anticipation. Mary, by her own confession, she says, I am simply a maidservant of the Lord. It never enters her mind the significance of being the mother of Messiah. Gabriel, an angel of renown, comforts Mary with these words. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You don't find favor unless you're looking for favor. Mary, and we don't want to deify her, but she was a fine young lady. She's seeking God with all of her heart, and she finds God. And these words, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, Mary, by church history, we understand that she was probably between 14 and 16 years old. 
just a young girl, and now she has God's angel Gabriel laying out for her her destiny and her life story just by saying, you're going to give birth to Messiah. In a moment, in a short time, her whole life changes. Mary, you're going to have a child, the Messiah, and you will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, that had to give her concern. <laughs> and then the angel says, for nothing is impossible with God, Mary. So Mary, gather yourself. Think with me here, Mary. Consider my words and do not be afraid. Gabriel's words to Mary are very few words, actually. They're, but they're world-changing words to Mary. But not only to Mary, but the entire world will now have their Messiah. Mary, your life will change. You consider yourself a maidservant. But God's plan of salvation for the entire world will come through your womb. That would devastate anyone. No wonder Mary is troubled. No wonder she's afraid. And no wonder Gabriel says, hey, don't be afraid. It's in God's hands. But that's Mary. So let's look at Joseph. So turn back over to Matthew chapter 1, and we'll look at Joseph as he also has an appearance of an angel. And we'll look at uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Didn't Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took to him his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph has received word that Mary, his betrothed wife, is pregnant. Now, Mary is pregnant, and Joseph knows that that baby is not his. What a dilemma now. 
raises its head in Joseph's life. And he says, he loved her too much to shame her, so he's looking for a way to put her away privately. He doesn't want to bring shame upon Mary. There would be some that would even ask that Mary be stoned for having uh, this baby out of wedlock and so forth. But Joseph, he's wanting to put her away in a decent, private way. And Joseph ponders, he thinks about this, how to put her away without bringing all this shame and recognition upon Mary. And then we have an angel, and this is probably Gabriel that appears to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as a wife. Or listen up, Joseph, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph has a fear, but it's not uh, being afraid fear, it's a fear of doing the wrong thing here. Joseph, he's troubled, he's in anguish that his espoused wife is with child and that baby is not his. What pain he must feel in his heart. Mary that he loves so dearly is pregnant, and she's not pregnant by him. And Joseph, he considers what kind of life that he will now have. Will it be a life where he puts Mary away? Will it be a life where he takes Mary as a wife? And that's what the angel is telling him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And this is interesting that later in the life of Jesus, the Pharisees accused Jesus of being born out of wedlock. And that was a great shame in the Jewish community. It's when Jesus was arguing or debating with the Pharisees and telling them basically who their father was, the devil. <laughs> and they said, but we're not born out of wedlock like you were. They knew. And we have, in verse 19, we read where Joseph was a just man. And now the angel says, Joseph, take Mary as your wife. And he's basically telling Joseph, God will comfort you, Joseph, in what you're about to do. Take her as a wife. God will be your defense in this whole matter. And Joseph has concerns. He has concerns about his reputation. And now the angel tells Joseph, go ahead, take Mary as your wife. In one way, this is great news for Joseph because he dearly loves Mary. He dearly loves her. He wants to do right. And this is great news in that regard. Yet it's troubling news also for now Joseph must bear the shame with Mary of having a child out of wedlock. And that was a big deal in that culture. But Gabriel tells Joseph, you're chosen by God. 
to be the stepfather of the Messiah. A tremendous honor, far greater than any shame that Joseph will ever encounter. You, Joseph, get to raise the Messiah. You get to teach him the ways of the Lord. You get to raise him in respect of God. A great honor for Joseph. But Joseph has a dilemma. He cannot share with most people, most of his countrymen, about the virgin birth that's about to take place. Because he's not stupid. He realized that people aren't going to go for that. Just like today, virgin birth, right. (laughs) You know, Joseph understands he's going to bear shame. Joseph is fully aware how skeptical people can be. But the honor of raising Messiah far outweighs any shame of reputation that Joseph may feel. He gets to be in the life of Jesus as a stepfather. He gets to raise this boy. He gets to see God raise up his own son Jesus right before his eyes. As Christians, as believers, sometimes we bear shame for being called simple-minded. We're a little bit naive, a little bit on the slow side. Why? Because we believe God's Word. Have you ever had somebody just kind of sneer at you because you considered God's Word to be truth? That's an honor. That's an honor like Joseph went through. People will not understand, Joseph, but you get to be the stepfather of Jesus. Wear that ridicule like a badge of honor when people look at you as being different. You are blessed when people look upon you as being odd or strange for believing God's word. For God considers you blessed because you do believe. We have a great blessing of being disciples of Jesus. And don't ever allow anyone to shame you because you believe. Amen. So this Christmas season, enjoy your blessing. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the humble beginnings of Jesus when he came here to earth to take on the form of man. You went to a simple young maidservant and announced your glorious details of the birth of Jesus. And then you went to Joseph, who would simply be that guiding light in Jesus' life in those early years. And you comforted Joseph by saying, you're blessed, Joseph. You get to raise my son. And Lord, we're blessed today to know the true meaning of Christmas. 
We get to understand why you had your son born a human. Why he come on and took, took flesh and went to the cross and bore our sins because of his love for us. So, Lord, we count it a privilege to know Jesus. And, Lord, don't ever let us be uh, ashamed or naive or anything else about receiving your word as truth. We're blessed to have the truth. Thank you for opening our hearts to the truth of yourself, Lord, and giving us your word as a guiding light to our lives. So help us in this Christmas season. Help us to be a light that shines bright for your Son. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.